All right, welcome to Back and Forth with Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. My name is John Vandegrift. I'm one of the owners and wealth planners of Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. I'm joined, uh, as always, by Zach Hill, who is the operations slash portfolio expert here at the company. He's also uh, owner of Remedy Coffee. I always use this for free publicity for Zach's coffee shop. Um, so, you know, again, we're here to go back and forth over uh, some topics today. And what we want to do today is tackle the, I think, concepts of active versus passive management in the investment world. And I think there's people that have strong opinions in both ways. There's documentation that can be both ways with it. And so we want to kind of talk about what scenarios uh, this could be very applicable in and then what things could we potentially use both of these strategies for to benefit somebody's situation. So, yeah. uh, so again, you know, Zach has a, a MBA from University of Tennessee in finance. He's got a lot of knowledge when it comes to not only these management styles, but also the benefits of those. So Zach is mm-hmm. going to take more of the passive management role, which he's just not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> I'm going to take Very the active passive. where I say everything. No, we're going to. Uh, Zach will take the passive side. I'll talk about active management and why that can be a value. But, but Zach, take it away with passive management. All right. So just a little background on what passive management is um, and how it started is because it is relatively new for the investing world, um, especially in its popularity. It's really risen to popularity in the last 15 or 20 years. Um, but passive management really started uh, with Vanguard and Jack Bogle when he invented the first index fund. And so what passive management is, is it says um, a manager will not try to pick any specific stocks or any specific bonds. They will just invest in the index that they want, to, that they choose to invest in. And so uh, the most common one is the S&P 500. So you want to say, you say, I want to invest in stocks. Well, do I want to pick stocks, which is, you know, if I want to pick Apple and invest in Apple, because I think Apple's going to do really well, uh, that was how it was traditionally done. And then Jack Bogle said uh, with Vanguard, as he said, I don't want to pick stocks, I just want to invest in in stocks. It was a very broad term, and that's what people say. When they say the stock market, they typically mean the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the S&P 500. And he said, well, why don't we just invest in these things specifically? And so there wasn't really a way to do that until he kind of invented passive management. And the real uh, objective there was to say, I don't want to pick stocks. I just want to invest in the market and perform like the market does. So I don't want to try to beat the market. I just want to be the market. And so that really started and really changed the way that people thought and the way that a lot of people invested because instead of trying to pick a basket of 50 stocks or so to outperform the market, everybody was just becoming the market. Um, and that has really taken off in the last 15 or 20 years because of the rise of ETFs. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all ETFs now are invested in uh, indices. And so they pick an index and they invest in that index. And so that has really increased the popularity of passive investing because it's so easy to access now with these ETFs. And ETFs are a great vehicle for that because you can you can trade them all the time, but they don't really, they have a lot of liquidity, but there's not much trades going on inside the funds because they just follow the index. They're not active. They're not trading every day. They're not creating a lot of taxable events. They're just, here's the index, invest in it. Yeah. Um, and I think, too, you know, and, and I want to have you talk a little bit more about this, but I think popularity uh, has risen in those when it comes to maybe the lack of transparency in mutual funds, which is what a lot of right. people had invested in. Like if you didn't, 
either have enough money to buy stocks individually or you just didn't want to pay somebody to do that, you could put it in a mutual fund, you know, which not many people from a lay person's perspective understand the big difference between mutual funds and ETF mm-hmm. or index positions. Uh, but talk a little bit more yeah. about kind of the, the comparison there. And why. Yeah, mutual funds were traditionally active. So you had active managers going and investing in thing in investments that they thought would outperform whatever their benchmark was. If they thought a bond was going to do well, they would buy that bond and they would hold it. There were a couple of things that came along with that is you had to pay mutual fund managers a very high expense ratio to do that. Yep. So you would say, I'm going to pay you 2.5% or 3% to go and pick investments for me that will outperform. And that's a, extremely higher than the fees that we see today. But uh, it was even higher. There were times you could see mutual funds with fees up 5 6 7% that had a front-end sales load. Yeah. They would, you would pay 7% on the front end and then 2% every year after that. Uh, so you would pay these managers extremely high uh, fees to go out and pick investments. And so the theory was if you had professional managers picking investments, they would outperform the market. Um, so that was one thing. And the second thing was you never really could understand what was going on with those trades. Uh, with ETFs and index funds, you know exactly what it's going to invest in because it's the S P 500. You can yep. go and look that up. You can see what the S P 500 is at any given time, and that's what that fund holds. With mutual funds, they only had to report quarter uh, – quarterly or monthly holdings. Some of them will report monthly holdings. Some of them report quarterly. Um, and, but you couldn't see the trades they made on you know March 2nd. You just saw what they held on March 31st. So you couldn't see the intramonth holdings. So if they were holding on to positions for a week or a couple days or you know even three, three weeks or so, you couldn't see what they were actually doing. You just saw what they wanted you to see. And so that's what you hear the term window dressing a lot is they would, they would make a lot of trades on the last day of the month or the last day of the quarter just to let investors think that they were investing a certain way, but they were actually doing a lot of things behind the scenes. So you had a lot of bad actors that came into play, and there was a lot of ways to take advantage of individual investors uh, during that time by charging really high fees and then having a lot of investments in the fund that you weren't actually that weren't actually um, doing what you said they were going to do. Yeah, and and I think you know as you look at it, and we'll we'll spend more time talking about active managers, but. You know, I think the the lack of transparency is what gave a lot of people a bad taste about mm-hmm. active management um, because, you know, there was either not enough clarity on what it was or what the fees were or what they were invested in, but also just over time, it seems like mutual fund managers got to a point where to diversify the investment pool, they just wanted to throw such a wide net out there that mm-hmm. they watered down the investment more than anything, you know, so like instead of, you know, you think, you know, S&P 500 is a large number of stocks, you know, to Mm -hmm. invest in, but the, you know, mutual funds typically will have thousands of stock positions and you may have just as much waiting in Amazon as you do some company you've never heard of that's on the verge of bankruptcy, you know, so, I mean, it's, I think, you know, as you look at that, that's definitely risen in popularity, but also I think probably going to the performance of of the indexes too, you know, would be another benefit obviously with passive right because you're not getting you're not paying such a high fee whereas the mutual funds with the front end sales load of seven percent that first year whatever your performance is you got to subtract seven percent off of it and then a really high fee after that and so with the index funds you can say the s&p 500 was up 10 percent last year i got 9.95 percent because the expenses have come down where they're something like 5.5 
0.05 basis points, with it, which is 0.05 percent. Yeah. So the, you're coming down so far from three, four percent sometimes to a 0.05 percent fee, and that just saves so much on the cost perspective as well. Yeah, because uh, you're already in the yeah. hole three or four right. percent before right. you ever do anything. Exactly. So you'd have to be a really, really good manager um, to make up that to make up that fee, and that's what we've seen over time is that those managers are few and far between. Right. Um, and talk a little bit about, because I think when when this debate happens between active and passive, I think a lot of people go back to the bet, you know, that Warren Buffett <laughs> has with, you know, active managers about give me index funds and, yeah. you know. Yeah, he says, uh, you know, you can, I'll give you 10 years and I'll take hold on to my index funds and you try to beat me. And at the end of the 10-year period, uh, I don't remember which specific hedge fund manager it was, but... Um, Warren Buffett was so far ahead of him. I think he had earned, and it was like an annualized less than 3% or something. He had been trying to make these outsized bets. And the, as you know, the stock market typically is up, you know, somewhere 6, 8, 10% a year on average. That's a, those are rough estimates. But, and Warren Buffett had outperformed by a dramatic amount. And so yeah. even he says, he's, Warren Buffett is the greatest active manager of all time. He is an active manager. He picks companies and invests in companies. And he frequently says, that most people need to be in index funds because they're cheap and they can't do it. Yeah. And he's like, if you're going to hold these funds for a very long time, you're going to hold you know, stocks for 10, sometimes 20, 30, 40 years. Index funds are a great opportunity for that because the costs are just so low. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, when you talk about kind of active versus passive in that argument, it, it really, I think it goes back to like, obviously what what level of outcome you want and we'll talk more about that but but also what period of life you're in I right think can be more beneficial and so you know I mean I think you and I are very similar in this mindset so just talk about you know kind of yep. where you see that as a benefit yeah and we've uh, I often tell people that if you're gonna invest in stocks you need to be prepared to hold them for 10 years or more in a mm. full stock basket um, if you're gonna be it now obviously it becomes a lot more complicated when you have a full portfolio when you're when you're later into your life. But if you're a 20 year old and you know you're going to hold stocks for 40 years and you know that you're at least going to be in them for 10 years, then you probably are going to hire, have a higher return. But multiple times over history, we've seen that there have been lot what they call lost decades in the stock market. So in the 70s, uh, we saw that, and then from 2000 to 2010, and then the Great Depression obviously was the worst period for it. But that's where stocks will go 10 years with a negative, with a zero or negative return over over that whole 10 year period. So there are points in times where you got to say you can't just invest in the index. If you're if you wanted to retire before, during, or after that period, and it happened to be 2000 to 2010, then you would be looking at a portfolio that potentially went 10 years and made zero. Yeah, and so that's and that is something that you can't afford if you're in retirement and taking taking withdrawals or relying on that for income. But if you're 20 years old and now you're 30 years old and you don't need that money for another 40 years, right? That's fine. That's that's probably okay. But for anybody who is later on into the towards the end of their accumulation phase or in the income phase of their portfolios, you need to start thinking. Well, maybe passive passive investment management is great for the accumulation phase, but You've got to start having an active mindset. You can use passive investment vehicles, but you can need to have an active manager that maybe is managing those different exposures. And so, 
that those types of things are what's are kind of the balance, which I know you're going to talk about with the active management, yeah. where you can't just throw it in an index fund and say that it's going to be up 10% this year, because that's not exactly how it works. Right. On average, it is, but you there's plenty of p- times in history where that's not exactly what happened over that period. So, yeah. So we've talked about you know with passive. You know, just to kind of hit the highlights, we've got the transparency of what it is that it's tracking, yep. I think is definitely a, it does what the index does, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're wanting to replicate an index, you know, if you invest in the index, pretty good way to do it. Um, the cost efficient, mm-hmm. the very cost efficient is why a lot of people will gravitate toward that. And especially during certain periods of time in your life, that makes a lot of sense where you're just trying to get yep. as much of that bulk return as possible. Um, any other pros of passive management or passive management that you see? Yeah, I think that summarizes it pretty well. Uh, passive management, that's, I mean, one of the pros is just what you kind of alluded to there is it's simplicity mm-hmm. is it, that's it. That's you. It's not complicated. It's easy to understand. You know exactly how to track it. You know exactly how to follow it. It's very easy to explain passive yeah. management. That's it. I should also add, um, should have added this earlier, is that I spent the first uh, four years of my career as an active manager, as an active manager for a mutual fund that had a very high expense ratio. So I have been on the other side of that argument as well, which I know you're going to talk about, but that's what I did for the first four years of my career. So I can give you all the all the insides to the what goes through an active manager's head as much as I can say, hey, here's all the positives of passive management as well. And we'll, we'll definitely lean yeah. on that as we kind of transition here. But, you know, as we look at it, passive management can be very beneficial, you know, depending on the time frame that you're in and what it is that you want these accounts to do. Uh, so, so now we're going to switch over to active management when we come back. So uh, stay tuned with us. Are you nearing the age of retirement? Is your 401k not looking the way you'd hoped all those years ago? Retirement is supposed to be a time to relax, a time to live. Here at Blue Ridge Wealth Planners, we strive to provide that service and opportunity. We can help you form a plan that will maintain and grow your retirement savings so that you can achieve what you envisioned when you originally set out on this journey. To see where you sit and what you can do to stand again, visit planforeverything.com. That's planforeverything.com. Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. Let us plan for everything so you don't have to. All right. Welcome back to Back and Forth with Blue Ridge Wealth Planners in the podcast world. Uh, we are talking about active and passive management styles with investing and why you should do either or neither or both. Um, and so Zach did a great job talking about passive management. What we want to shift to is say, why is it a benefit to do active management? Because uh, again, I think a lot of people, you know, as we talk about the rise in popularity with passive management, have almost kind of vilified active management, you know, in some ways, because because uh, and some of it's justified, you mm-hmm. know, because as you as as passive managers became more and more popular, like you talked about with the the bet that Warren Buffett made with active managers, I think sometimes people can try to um, justify their fees, right. you know, and try to just be active with no reason behind it, you know, because right. like you want to with an actively managed portfolio, what you are trusting is an expert to come in and use their level of guidance to make informed decisions that would not happen if you were just tracking an index, Mm -hmm. you know, because if you do the index, you get all of the benefits and all of the negatives, you know, it's just, you get it all. With an active manager, depending on what their goal is, 
you know, if they're trying to make some moves to outperform an index or a benchmark, you know, they're looking at and making calculated decisions based on that. Mm. Or, you know, what we see a lot of in kind of the management platforms that we use is, is active managers who are trying to maybe prevent certain things, you know, so like we've got some companies that we have used that want to manage the risk level of a portfolio for the purpose of trying to preserve the value, maybe at a cost to the long-term average. But, but again, there's a segment right. of the population that needs that, you know, especially with bank cash making yep. zero, not good safe options that are making any type of return. You need an active manager if you've got any sort of inclination toward trying to preserve value or build something that is somewhat conservative that keeps up with inflation. And I know yeah. that, you know, with your experience with, like you had said before the break, um, you know, active managing, I think you can probably speak to that a little bit more from experience than I can just from yeah. kind of the mindset that you have toward active managers and value yeah. there. So. I think it's a little bit unfair to um, to lump all the active managers into one bucket. Like right. we, Like you just said is, most people say, oh, it's active versus passive, but that really isn't fair because when you're talking about passive, most of the time people are talking about index funds that are just 100% the stock market. Yeah. And the stock market has changed dramatically over the last 70 years. And so an active manager who's picking large cap stocks, probably not going to outperform. The data shows they're not going to. Mm-hmm. But an active manager who's controlling risk based on a lot of factors that ha- they have a risk model that they input uh, all of these standard deviations and risk factors into and says, hey, you should invest in this to lower the risk of the portfolio. That's not a bad idea. Yep. So comparing those two active managers together, I think, is drastically different. And so the inside world of an active manager is just vastly different depending on what fund you, what type of fund you invest in. And so from my perspective, the fund, I worked on two funds, and one of them was a low volatility equity fund, and uh, the other one was a global diversification fund. There was We had another fund as well, but I didn't work much with that, and it was another uh, low volatility equity fund. And so those did very different things. The global diversification fund and low volatility had very different strategies, and I really do think the low volatility equity fund, it was a hedged equity strategy where we primarily used options. I actually think that strategy was great. Yeah. We targeted a risk. We targeted a risk level, and we said this is the risk level we want to achieve, and we're going to hedge that hedge that risk with options. We had an underlying equity position, and we actively traded options, but we weren't managing for a to try to beat the market or to try to do anything else. We were trying to lower the risk in the portfolio. Yeah. And if you do that on an active basis, you really can do that. That's what options. One of the best things about them is that you can use them to lower the risk overall in your portfolio. And so taking that versus a global diversification portfolio, it was a little bit more muddy. We had an objective to outperform our our benchmark, but the benchmark was subjective because we chose the benchmark and we never outperformed it. But we said we have a third stocks, a third bonds, and a third commodities, and you know, we've got to beat this. We never beat it. Yeah. We we just didn't do it. That wasn't it that's the bad kind of active management where you say we've got a total return and we've got to we've got to achieve this and it's a diversified portfolio, but we've got to outperform this. And it was very clear that the research supported one side of active management, but it didn't really on the other. And so the internals, it gets a little bit muddied when you say all these active managers are bad because it's really not. If you were looking for a hedged equity strategy, that's a great place to look for it. Right. And I think you, like we talk about from a very basic level, and obviously, you know, for some people that was very detailed, you know, financial (laughs) knowledge there. But but looking at it and saying, what is it that we want this bucket to do, yep. you know, and, and can it do it? Because, like, 
you you see people that are using the vanguards of the world where they're saying, oh, I'm managing this myself and I'm keeping my costs low and that's great. But when it comes to preserving that money, mm-hmm. you're not really getting any help. You right. Know? Whereas, and again, there's a time in life where that's the, the focus. You don't need to preserve it. But if, yep. like a lot of people are just maybe starting into that Vanguard position because they believe passive management is a better way to do it. And then they continue to do that into retirement. And those those examples can be used if used correctly, mm-hmm. but supported by other things. Right. You know, because it's like, I think, you know, in the way that we interact with active, active and passive management, and you kind of see <clears throat> sort of a hybrid now, I would say, if you want to call it that, where okay. you have active managers managing pack passive strategies, you know, where you've got like, like I know we've talked about like ETFs and you've got somebody who's looking at those ETFs and saying, yep, we think this ETF continues to belong, but as long as it's trending along with what it's historically done, if it ever goes out, we'll take that ETF out and put it in Mm -hmm. where, you know, somebody who's just investing in the same thing for 30 years isn't doing that. Right. You know, and, and again, that's where I think fee compression, as you've talked about it, has made it to where you know, some people look at it and they say, gosh, I can't believe somebody's going to pay over 1%. And it's like, well, if you can pay over 1% and you justify it, you know, and you get a good return, like who cares what the fee is? I'd pay 5% right. if I could beat the market and, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, net more. Um, yeah. But but as we look there, some some people look at it from the aspect of they, they only think tracking the market and keeping the fees low is the way they need to manage money. And I think that can ultimately lend them to – um, definitely more risk exposure than they want to have over mm-hmm. a period of time and not necessarily having as much diversification because as we look at it, passive strategies are only available in certain segments of the market. Right. You know, so, I mean, it's, if you're looking at stocks and bonds and maybe commodities and different things, like you invest in those indexes and leave them alone, you'll have a lot of different stuff, but they won't necessarily all act differently uh, depending yeah. on how you interact with it. so Yeah, and we've talked about that um, a lot behind the scenes is saying there are times when there was a time, you know, in uh, March of this year when the stock market lost 30% from February to March, but there was a one-week period, really a little bit over a week, where stocks were down 15% and interest rates were actually up about a percent. Yeah. And so those are the primary um, asset classes that we use, that ETFs use, and they do some commodities as well. But they mostly just do stock and bond indices. And so if you happen to hold a traditional 60-40 portfolio over that time, both components of that lost money. Yeah. But there are a lot of things that active managers can do that aren't included in those that you know were a little bit more insulated or offered some diversification. So you just weren't going to get that exposure through an ETF because it is just investing in an index. And I think, too, you know, I think we'd be remiss also to talk about how active management has changed now that you have a management platform where there's not prospectuses that limit, you know, your mm-hmm. your percentages. Because, like, even if in the past you had a mutual fund manager who was actively managing this, the prospectus that they send out to clients was limiting the percentage that they could have. So even if, you know, a mutual fund manager saw the writing on the wall and the market was going down and they felt like they should make a call. They couldn't. They were kind of handcuffed. That's what we did in our fund. We had a third that had to be in commodities, but we really, that was in 2015 to 2019 and commodities really in 2015, late 2015 and started drawing down and had massive losses. And we we were like, we don't want to hold any of these. We don't want to hold oil. It's going from a hundred dollars a barrel to 30. We didn't want to hold it, but we didn't have a choice. That's what we had. We had to do that. And so 
it's really demoralizing for the manager to not be able to make those type of calls, and it's even more demoralizing for the fund and its performance because you know that there's a asset class you don't want to be invested in, but you just can't do it. And yeah. So, and I think we've seen benefits of you know inside of a management platform as opposed to a mutual fund how flexibility wise they have more options right. to use their expertise right. and be able to really actively manage something that's in the best interest of the client um, or the objective of that particular fund so mm-hmm. so as we look there i think you know again hopefully you walk away from this seeing that there are pros to both there are cons to both depending on what situation you're in but i think as we look at it big picture wise you know, talking to someone about what it is that you want, you know, and, and letting that shape the active versus passive um, percentage or impact that you have. I think, right. you know, and, and again, not just us, but anybody else, you know, finding someone that's going to, and in our world today, I think it's hard to find people that are unbiased, you know, about certain things. Uh, but finding someone who's got a fiduciary capacity that can walk you through the benefits of both of those and seeing, you know, what could be advantageous for you, I think is a benefit. So, right. you know, hopefully you've enjoyed our time today. If you have any questions, you know, feel free to email, email us at info at blueridgewealth.com, and we'd be happy to answer those. Uh, but as far as the podcast today, thank you for joining us. That's all we have on Back and Forth with Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. Investment advisory services offered through Blue Ridge Wealth Planners, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Madison Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, MAS, and Blue Ridge Wealth Planners are not affiliated companies.